Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode, we'll discuss the challenges and opportunities health systems face when it comes to finding a partner, thriving in value-based care, improving the patient experience, and much more. As health system consolidation continues, leaders are searching for innovative alternatives to gain a competitive advantage. To lend his insights and expertise on the matter, our guest today is Frank Leatherby, CEO of Privia Medical Group, Florida. Frank has more than 25 years of healthcare leadership experience, focusing on improving the quality of healthcare and increasing the value of patient care. Additionally, as CEO of Health First Medical Group, Frank is responsible for working with physicians and providers on matters of recruitment, the practice of medicine, care environments, and translation of medical group needs to Health First. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show today. Frank, thank you so much for coming on the break room today. We are thrilled to have you. I want to start out by asking for your perspective on a shift we've observed in health systems, wherein employed physicians are transitioning to become independent community physicians. Uh, According to MedPage today, the overall number of doctors working for hospitals or medical groups peaked at nearly 58% in 2016, before dropping to just below half in 2018. So given your expertise, what do you believe is the biggest factor influencing this trend? And how does this shift affect uh, and benefit both parties, uh, providers and health systems alike? Thanks, Morgan. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you about a range of topics today. First thing I would say around your question on employment, one of the misconceptions that I think is very common in the industry is is a belief that employment equals alignment. And I think many health systems, as well as individual physicians have found, is that that is not always the case. So to your question around, you know, what's what's really driving this biggest factor in the shift. I'll just give you thoughts from two perspectives. First, from a health system perspective, and, and this really speaks to the point around alignment. And really, does the employed medical group, are they involved in a meaningful way within the health system coordinating care and being an instrumental part of the organization? And that includes having sustainable operating investments in the employed network. And I I use that term, you know, sustainable operating investments, as opposed to what some folks call a net loss. And and I think that's an important part of health systems that have a thriving medical group really see the alignment of their employed providers to be an investment, not a loss. I will also say that many of the health systems are revisiting their physician compensation models and and, and really considering how they're gonna move from fee-for-service to value-based care. Big factor on the physician side, again, back to the fundamental around engagement and alignment. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of physicians, both private practice doctors and uh, folks employed in integrated medical groups. And one of the things that, that we do hear in, in feedback from private practice doctors is, they are interested in being in an environment where they have more operational autonomy. And in some cases, that means people are moving from employment to private practice. Uh, one of the realities of being in a, in a large healthcare system is 
There are administrative structures, processes to go through to make decisions in a large organization that are very different than what most private practices have. And that can be both a plus and a minus, depending on the, I guess, the person you're, you know, you're asking, but the challenge sometimes of ensuring that folks are really being supported uh, from a practice autonomy perspective is something that I think is a driver in that physician moving towards private practice. Thank you. Your point about confusing employment with alignment leads me to my next question, which is how might health systems work with independent providers to improve alignment and care coordination? Yeah, I I would say first that I, I think most health systems are working with private practitioners, obviously, as well as their employed providers. You know, see very few totally closed medical staffs in the United States. But the predominant way that that folks work together really is is via a fairly low integration or or low structured framework. And that's really just being on the medical staff of a health system or hospital. And, you know, that's been out there for decades and decades and decades of kind of defining the way healthcare has kind of grown up in the U.S. I, I think people are moving towards more highly integrated structures. Again, we're talking about private practice doctors. That can include clinically integrated networks, accountable care organizations, management service organizations. These are all more advanced level of integration that really has people gathered to more specific goals and outcomes and aligned incentives. Yeah, there are certainly many options for health systems seeking greater integration. That calls to mind a recent report from Kaufman Hall in which the researchers noticed a trend of quote-unquote complementary mergers. Uh, For instance, one partner's clinical capabilities, for example, may be complemented by the other partner's health plan capabilities. How can these types of strategic alliances be mutually beneficial and also improve the experiences of providers and patients? I would first say that I believe that very few healthcare organizations in the country have the capacity, culture, and depth to do everything on their own. And, you know, while there are some just enormous health systems, I think you'll see even with those enormous health systems, they are entering into strategic partnerships with technology companies, with other venture partners, people with digital capabilities that they want to be looking at very differently than their traditional kind of health system approach. And I, and I think the the core competency of, of being a good partner for leaders and for organizations is really important. We have recently initiated two strategic partnerships, you know, one with a, a young entrepreneurial company and, and another with a, a large uh, not-for-profit healthcare system. And both of those companies, while being very different in their kind of DNA and, and background, they have both been really additive to our delivery of patient care and serving the customers here in the Space Coast of Florida. Thank you, Frank. I, I, I like to dive a little bit deeper into those complementary partnerships with digital or uh, technology vendors you mentioned. How is technology transforming healthcare delivery for health systems and how might it improve the patient experience? 
So I think healthcare technology as as has technology throughout the the country, all industries come a long way in the last few years. I think the single biggest inflection point in, in digital technology that I think we've experienced in a long time in healthcare that's consumer facing is the impact of virtual visits in response to the to the COVID pandemic. And we, like many other healthcare organizations, private physician groups, really had an imperative to adopt this technology to both from a clinical perspective and serving our customers, as well as from a business perspective that, that we needed to be able to continue to generate revenue in, in response to this very challenging virus. And we went from kind of having the technical ability to provide the service, but really weren't driving adoption in early March to by the middle of April, more than 50% of our total visits were happening virtually across a, you know, a, a provider base of 400 providers. And it was really appreciated by our customers. They were so thankful to be able to receive care in an efficient way. They didn't have to come into our facilities, obviously. They weren't going to be exposing themselves or us to having our associates exposed to folks that might have a virus as well. So it was a, a really additive experience for our patients. I think more broadly, I think as, as all of us have done in so many other facets of our lives, our mobile phones really handle so much of what in, impacts our, our lives from you know, our own, our own schedules to shopping and, and all of our transportation needs and so on. And that's really increasingly where we need to be is being sure that that is the focal point of accessing our healthcare, you know, from patient portals to giving feedback about how your visit was, scheduling other care. It just all needs to be coordinated in a much digitally simple manner. In conjunction with our relationship with Privia Health, we were very excited to have the capability of having an integrated virtual visit platform through the electronic health record. And before the COVID pandemic, we had, had put together a fair amount of infrastructure to, to really ensure that our team here supporting the 400 providers that we have was highly connected to the to the technology and leadership team at, at, at Privia and the, the structure that they had put together. So lots of training, uh, lots of preparation for how to how to go about uh, the care in, a, in an efficient and effective manner. And, and so we were, again, slowly in a rollout and then COVID hits. And, you know, like most places in the country, we're pretty well shut down. The, the, the Privia team helped not only our Florida team, but the markets, the other markets that, that are a part of the Privia Health Organization go from very low numbers to, you know, well over 50% of our patient visits. I think at its peak, it was probably closer to 75% of our patient visits in just, you know, just a couple of weeks. And the, the other thing that was really impressive to hear and, and participate in is the level of coordination between the central uh, Privia team and the market leadership. We had daily calls and, and frankly, the vast majority of that focus of those daily calls was ensuring that we are all prepared to take care of the customers in our, in our markets uh, all around the, the virtual platform. So I, I can't say enough about the support we received and, uh, and that again has been acknowledged by the patients that we serve here in Brevard County, Florida, uh, as well as our providers. Thank you for 
that insightful response. Uh, technology is certainly a great tool to have in your toolbox. Uh, I want to backtrack uh, a bit to our earlier discussion around employed and community physicians. And my question is a simple but uh, complex one at the same time. And it is, how might these two groups come together to care for patients? Yeah, you know, one of the things that's really always uh, exciting to me about being able to work in healthcare is, is a belief that the providers and the rest of the care team have a sincere desire to improve the health and wellness of the communities we serve. So I, I think most of our team is just naturally wired to be collaborative. And the contractual manner in which somebody is, you know, is functioning, whether a private doctor or a, an employed physician in a health system, I think that's less of an issue. And I think it's really more about what are folks trying to accomplish and are they like-minded and are they, you know, committed to working together as a part of, you know, a broader vision. And when that happens and you can put some structure and physician leadership to drive it and lead it, I think it can go very, very well. And that, that can happen certainly naturally in a single county or a single community, but I, I think it can happen in a much broader way across for us, the state of Florida, and, um, and I think even larger geographies beyond that. I think it does come down to really strong physician leadership and a strong sense of what we're trying to accomplish. And lastly, ideally aligned incentives. So th th those are my thoughts about the importance of various governance models. We have created an, a new one here in Florida, you know, are excited to see employed physicians and private practice providers working together to drive value-based care. Again, value-based care being improving quality, improving service and lowering costs. Continuing down that line of value-based care, what opportunities exist and what barriers stand in the way when it comes to health systems and value-based care? Yeah, well, let's start. Let's start with the opportunities. I, I think the health systems are are often a you know a, a leading care provider, obviously in in the communities they serve. They're a big employer. They have existing relationships with with payers. They they are really in a position to do a lot of the driving towards value-based care. I, I pause there for a little bit to say, but there's a big but, and, and that is what, what are the barriers to reflect on your question? And, and I think the biggest barrier that, that health systems face is, you know, again, decades and decades of experience being in a very different revenue and reimbursement model where the more, the more they do and the more complexity of services they offer, the more revenue they generate. And, and so for a health system to be actively moving towards value, they, they really have to understand that they're going to be in some ways, you know, in the short run, potentially compressing, compressing uh, revenue. But, but again, if they believe in the goals of, you know, improving quality and, and lowering cost, uh, I, I do believe there is a, there is a, a, a way to, to get there. Absolutely. Uh, dedication and physician alignment are crucial for health systems to succeed in value-based care. Uh, what challenges do 
health systems face with regard to physician alignment uh, within these models? Yeah, sure. So again, kind of fundamental belief for, for me is, you know, physicians uh, are trained and, and driven to, you know, improve improve quality and, and, and often lower costs. I think a lot of that starts with the primary care provider team. And, and I think the thing that's impressed me so much in, in, in working with our primary care team to align towards value-based care, they know this is the right thing for the patient. And with information, high quality data, some structure around it, some feedback from you know other members of of the care team and some alignment in financial goals they they are really the natural place to start in driving value-based care uh, within a community and 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 that's certainly what what we have seen you know really a, a tremendous amount of change in just a two-year period and um, having conversations around cost quality outcomes across our primary care and specialty service areas. And in some cases, even within our health system, again, kind of back to the pressure around fee-for-service revenue, uh, if there are unnecessary and inappropriate admissions that go on, the doctors know that there is an alternative place of care for that need. A patient may have been you know, going to the ED, the ER for, uh, for services and with an expanded access model, maybe back to our virtual care discussion, they can meet that needs without ever going to the hospital. And, and again, thereby by lowering, uh, lowering cost. Uh, again, another little COVID reflection, I think pretty well documented now, documented now across the industry that, that visits to the emergency department have been dramatically lower uh, through the whole COVID experience. And even while we're in Florida uh, in phase two of reopening, our emergency uh, department volumes continue to be significantly below what we had experienced, you know, really for, for many years. So I think, I think that's an example of not only providers being aligned for value-based care, uh, but customers also knowing that if they have access points that are more effective and lower cost, uh, they will use them. So you mentioned earlier how vital virtual visits are, and one of their greatest strengths is their ability to deter high-cost patient encounters, which lowers spending and therefore assists with value-based care. On that note, can you please expand on how technology can help with care coordination and create a more uh, seamless, a more coordinated experience? I think one of the things that we talk a lot about in the healthcare industry is handoffs of care. And every time there is a handoff, there is generally a delay and an opportunity for the ball to be dropped. And I think probably probably nobody out there that has had any significant experience as a as a patient or customer in a in a care environment hasn't been frustrated by one the unbelievable redundancy and duplication of being asked the same question by multiple people um, with no data flowing through it 
you know, it's all being scratched on a bad clipboard. And, you know, again, really isn't data, it's just information on a sheet. And so the automation process and the technology infrastructure that I think is now, you know, available to all of our care settings is to ensure that those handoffs and care coordination steps are done much more effectively. We have patients who might have ended up in the uh, emergency department that I referred to earlier for a severe orthopedic issue that they were going to need follow-up after being sent home, you know, the next day uh, in the orthopedic surgeon's office, you know, in, instead of getting a card and, you know, being told to call them tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and hope you can get through their phone, uh, phone line, they're able to just simply book an appointment, uh, you know, live time and the patient can arrive at, at the scheduled time and, and be seen very efficiently. We're also trying to do work around the self-registration process. Again, most of us are very accustomed to, to taking care of a lot of the paperwork for so many other things in our lives that we require service for, that you know, the traditional healthcare experience in, in that arena is you know, show up to a check-in person and receive you know, information on a clipboard, being told to go sit down and wait and then bring it back up, go wait again, and, and then go sit in the exam room and wait. We're really trying to use technology to make that a much more seamless experience and hopefully uh, reduce those delays and handoffs. Thank you, Frank. Value-based care, despite its challenges, is certainly a crucial part of the future of healthcare. I want to stick with that forward-looking angle, and as my last question, ask you to please describe the what you see as the health system of the future. Let me first start by saying we're committed to creating one here in Brevard County, Florida, and we've got a team that's committed to it. We've got a community that that desires and expects it, and and, and we're really trying to challenge ourselves so that we're not simply incrementally improving what sick care has been and that we're much more focused on wellness and, and well care. When somebody is sick, I mentioned a, a knee replacement or needs you know, advanced cardiac capabilities or, or would um, you know, come down with uh, cancer, we of course want them to have exceptional illness and, and disease care within our health system, but the fundamental driver is to keep people as well as, as possible. Next point would really just be that we're not just digitally enabled, you know, the virtual visit conversation and an example of that, but digitally focused and driven. And I, I think without that digital focus, I, I, I don't believe we could ever claim to be a, a health system of the future. Another point would be about accessibility and, and uh, accessibility 24-7. And, you know, health systems traditional definition of accessibility 24-7 is you're welcome to come into the emergency room. That again is nowhere near the most effective and customer focused access point. We really wanna be accessible to folks digitally around the clock, convenient for them. A part of that is, is also bringing services to the customer, not always requiring the customer to come to the service. Again, healthcare industry, hospital industry in particular has been one, you know, build it and they will come. Well. We're really trying to think about what is the level of service that can be d 
deployed to the customer's home and that it's that it's an organization that's easy to use and you know as we talked about some of the other digital capabilities not so complicated and so internally focused transparent measurements in service quality and cost would be another attribute of a health system of the future transparency around cost i think if you ask most of our neighbors and say do you know what it's going to cost for you to get your healthcare services most would say i have no idea i, I hope i know what my copay is but other than that I, I really don't have any idea what the fundamental cost of my service probably frankly even worse on quality as an industry there's so much that's kind of presumed to be quality and i think some is and some certainly isn't the next attribute that I thought about as it relates to your question is really very much in response to what we have experienced the last few months, and that is that a health system of the future has to be emergency and disaster prepared. And while, you know, being on the space coast of Florida, we've seen more than our fair share of hurricanes, the nature of this pandemic challenged, I think, all of us in, in healthcare and government as employers, and I think everybody would conclude that they weren't appropriately prepared. Last couple points would just be around being a vital part of the community. And, you know, again, often a big employer, are they giving back and coordinating other significant health and wellness issues? Are they involved in food and, and nutrition, you, you know, really in, ensuring that comprehensive definition of wellness. And then the last concept has got a couple of components to it, and that's back to our discussion around collaboration. And the couple of connections or a couple of portions to that would be able to partner well with other organizations and strategic alliances, and maybe even more importantly, able to partner with customers in the goals around their, their health care and not just um, telling people what they have or what they need to do, but, but really having a way to engage customers and be sure that we're, you know, fundamentally meeting their, their needs and knowing how we can help them. So kind of a long answer to a short question, but uh, those, those are a few of my thoughts around what are the attributes of a, of a future looking health system. There is certainly a lot to look forward to when it comes to health systems meeting and exceeding patients' expectations. Uh, and Health First is undoubtedly a model for health systems to aspire to. As we see these changes unfold, Frank, I would love to have you back on the podcast again someday. Thank you so much for coming on The Break Room. Uh, we, we really appreciate having you. Appreciate it, Morgan. My pleasure. That concludes this episode of The Break Room. I want to thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to learn more about the many ways Privia can help health systems thrive, please visit our website at priviahealth.com forward slash health-systems. Again, that's priviahealth.com forward slash health-systems. We'll be back next month for another episode of The Break Room. See you then.